0: Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, welcome to the Immigration Advocates Network series, Perspectives on Immigration Reform. Today we are speaking with Michelle Garnett McKenzie of the Advocates for Human Rights. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me on our pleasure we will be discussing with michelle the human rights perspective on immigration reform so let's go ahead and get started with a brief description of your organization and your background and then your work at your organization Great, thanks.
1: Well, the Advocates for Human Rights is uh, just turning 30 this year. We are a Minnesota-based organization that works locally, nationally, and around the world doing work to support and protect and defend uh, international human rights standards. Uh, We work a lot on legal reform and policy advocacy around the world and here in our own communities. Um, Some of the major areas we work on, uh, of course, are immigration, but also on women's human rights, on human rights education and uh, bringing that curriculum and those concepts into the classroom, uh, both in the, amongst children and adult learners and international justice and accountability. We worked uh, quite a bit with truth and reconciliation commissions, international justice mechanisms and um, a lot on oversight and, and kind of building accountability for human rights in countries around the world.
0: Mm. And oh. what about you? What's your background in this work? Well,
1: I came into this as an immigration lawyer. I was working uh, for the immigration court and in private practice doing mainly political asylum work When back in the early 1990s. Um, And an opening came at the Advocates um, for me to work on our asylum project. We have a pro bono asylum project that engages, as many projects around the country do, volunteers from a variety of practice areas in doing asylum cases. Um, at the Advocates, part of our mission really is to engage volunteers in hands on human rights work. And the Asylum Project is, is one of our most easy connections for people to make between human rights violations and victims and the U.S. legal system. So uh, I came on to help coordinate that project and support volunteer attorneys uh, in their proceedings in front of the Immigration Service at that point, and, and the immigration courts, and um, eventually it became the manager of the project, um, working on our immigration uh, detention project, um, walk-in legal clinics, and uh, teaching at the University of Minnesota Law School and William Mitchell College of Law on our on their asylum and immigration clinics, and. Um, then, uh, several years ago, had the opportunity to move into a role that we were just creating here at our organization, um, directing our advocacy efforts more broadly. so my portfolio now includes immigration policy and uh, immigration work at the state and federal levels, as well as um, our community and coalition engagement around immigration, building welcoming communities project that we uh, that we have undertaken to assess uh, the climate of welcoming communities from a human rights perspective in our state, um, a human rights education and training uh, project, and also um, human trafficking work at the state legislature. So lots and
0: lots of variety in my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So let's uh, take a look at the overview of your organization's key points for immigration reform. Right. Well. Early in, I guess, the, this
1: round of immigration reform, um, right after the election, um, it became clear that that we and other colleague organizations had a, a chance to really start thinking about the, less about the weeds but more about the big picture of what we wanted from immigration reform. What did U.S. immigration policy changes have the, the opportunity to do in terms of strengthening our accountability for human rights? Um, Where, if we actually won, if we actually got what we wanted, what would the country look like in terms of our immigration policy? How would it improve the human rights of all people who live in this country, regardless of citizenship or documentation, regardless of where in the country they lived? And... As uh, one of uh, several human rights organizations who work on immigration policy, um, we really started thinking about creating principles for ensuring fair and humane immigration policy. Uh, We were able to uh, partner at that point um, sort of on the fly with the Border Network for Human Rights, uh, Detention Watch Network, and Rights Working Group to pull together folks uh, right after the election to come together and think about those big-picture values, what is it that we were hoping to achieve through immigration reform? Um, and that coalesced into a statement of principles that um, has helped really give us some guidance and some, um, some touchstones as we move through this now uh, massive 844-page bill. Um, what is it that we're looking for or on guard against um, in the immigration debate? Uh, the principles really were derived almost verbatim from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and, you know, as many folks know, that's a, a very sort of top-level, 20,000-foot view of the human rights world. It's, it's these broad statements of principle um, that really are uh, going for the shared understanding that every individual has basic human rights, they have... Uh, uh, access to that regardless of their status, that they uh, have those rights free from discrimination and that ensuring those rights is the basis of freedom, justice, peace in the world. Uh, so we started organizing, um, I thought, around where are the biggest gaps in immigration policy right now and the biggest room for improvement um, in that very global sense, and came up with these 10 principles for immigration reform uh, that really mirror that framework.
0: Can you discuss some of those principles, maybe in particular taking a closer look at the aspects that reflect the human rights perspective and maybe set the work of your organization apart from some of the more generalized or mainstream immigration advocacy? Sure.
1: Well, our starting point was that the inherent dignity and equal and inalienable rights of all people need to be at the foundation of our immigration policies and law. And so to the extent that any particular provision of a proposed bill or of our existing law strengthens that um, and gives us uh, that foundation of dignity, that's, you know, that's a measure of success, and to the extent that it undermines that, um, it's a measure of failure or of need for improvement. Um, beyond that, uh, one of the core concepts is that our policies should recognize, and respect, and protect the right of every individual, regardless of citizenship status, to our safety and security of the person. Uh, this is a fundamental concept in international human rights law it's something that has been transformative in uh, areas such as domestic violence um, uh, policy where when you frame things around a person's right to be free from violence their right to be to have safety and security of their person um, rather than you know sort of the um, the details of how they should get in or out of the country, um, it's very helpful in balancing our policy obligations against um, our right to to be a sovereign nation and set our borders. So thinking about that uh, right to uh, safety and security of the person has given us um, a particular uh, look at this current bill. Trying to understand particularly aspects around border security um, and some of the, um, the additional militarization aspects of the border um, really gives us that lens for understanding that the, there's an impact on communities and on individuals that undermines our basic safety and security. And that's the problem. That's the fundamental problem with some of the border security measures that are introduced. Um, it's not so much this debate about how much should we spend, or should we? Do we have a right to protect our border, or should you know does the United States have the uh, obligation to secure our borders? Um, all of that may be true, but it has to be balanced against the individual safety and security, and the provisions that appear to be in the uh, Senate file 744 may significantly undermine that. Um, it helps us, I think, get out of the weeds of a discussion that. Um, you know, it's a trap in a lot of ways for us. Uh, Yes, the United States is a sovereign nation. Yes, we have the right to to set our immigration policies. No, there is no right to immigrate to the United States. Um, And those are all things that anti-immigrant folks will say over and over again. But what we know is that all of those sovereign rights are balanced against our human rights obligation to ensure that people are safe and secure when they are here, when they are at our borders, and it gives us a different way of looking at that.
0: Thank you. And we should let our listeners know that the Senate bill that you're discussing just came out you know, a week or so ago, so we're still digesting some of this. And what are some of the other concerns that come to mind as you go through this? legislation and hold it up against your ideals and what you would like to see in terms of uh, respecting human rights and the dignity of, of all. Right.
1: Well, you're right. These are early days and our initial you know, scan of the bill is um, it's really encouraging in a lot of ways, but there are places where we see uh, enhanced attention to um, upholding safety and security of the person, or upholding due process and the concept of the right to unity and protection of the family unit. Uh, so, a couple of bright spots that just you know early on in the initial scan of the bill um, are, are places where um, say the spouses of um, of people who are the primary applicant for this um, registered provisional status. Um, uh, where the spouses are able to move forward uh, with an application regardless of the termination of the legal relationship between them, particularly in cases of domestic violence. That's really important because we need to be able to protect um, people from being trapped into, in uh, relationships that could be dangerous and violent and that they should not be in simply for the sake of immigration status. So, bright spots like that really help us um, see that I think a lot of progress has been made um, around respect for human rights. Um, We've seen, uh, you know, certainly some good pieces in uh, looking for um, some greater accountability, um, inserting Accountability into things uh, like border patrol operations and some training and reporting and ombudsman um, uh, access to the the uh, customs and border protection and ICE that hasn't previously been there and accountability is a key component of uh, a human rights approach to our policymaking. But of course, we also see some you know some downsides as well um, having. Um, For instance, the triggers um, can undermine uh, the triggers before implementation of a legalization program can go forward, Um, can really undermine uh, the dignity of individuals here by creating these lengthy delays for work, travel, other status so that they are trapped in a limbo. Um, That's a problem uh, that leaves people more vulnerable and, of course, doesn't let them get on with the full um, uh, kind of life that they need to live here. Um, so balancing good and bad throughout the bill is definitely um, something that we see. We know that's part of a compromise. Um, it's no surprise there, but there are a few things that um, you know, really are fundamental uh, that we need to be standing firm on. And I think most around, uh, most importantly, um, are things that restore. Um, some of those core human rights, civil rights protections around due process and uh, right to counsel, judicial review—some um, of the pieces that have really eroded in the past few decades—we're um, very, very pleased to see inserted back in in different parts of the bill. Um, in particular, I know we're um, we've been concerned about stipulated orders of removal that take place in, you know, behind closed doors, uh, a negotiated agreement between the detaining officer and the person who's in detention, threatened with removal, um, to agree to that person's deportation that really has no check by a judge, by an immigration judge or any, anyone else, no access to, by the um, applicant to uh, counsel. Um, No access even maybe to time to make a phone call and talk to their friends or family about what they should do. And um, the requirement that's suggested in in this bill that the person be presented to an immigration judge in person and asked if that agreement was knowing, voluntary, and intelligent just brings us up to the very basic standards of due process that we should expect from our immigration system.
0: Mm, I appreciate that. I know that sometimes as an as an attorney in the field practicing, we just roll with the process that's there. And it's good to know that, you know, the advocates are raising this uh, at another level and holding it out as an important matter of of due process. Now, a lot of the points that you've made here address political rights. I'm wondering whether you weigh in on other human rights.
1: Well, you're right that... um The human rights framework really encompasses um, both civil and political rights like the right to due process um, and the right to be free from discrimination and then uh, cultural and social and economic rights that um, the United States has historically really been resistant to viewing as rights. Um, We view much of that through a lens of uh, charity. Not through the right of an individual, say, to be free from hunger or the right to shelter, um, but in, instead through you know access to charity, um, and that deserving people um, might be able to be given the charitable donation of you know some some food at a food shelf, but that we can make a distinction between who deserves our assistance and who doesn't. Um, the human rights framework really takes a different view of that. We all, in order to live our lives with dignity, should have access to, without discrimination, uh, the basic building blocks that make us able to live with dignity, food, shelter, access to health care. And there are some really troubling trends um, that are reflected here in in this bill that have been part of the immigration debate at the state levels and at the federal level for decades, and that is um, restricting... Uh, public benefits or restricting access to health care benefits or other um, uh, of those economic or social rights, um, restricting those uh, to only citizens or only to permanent residents um, or to only certain categories of people. Uh, this Im- uh, immigration bill excludes, for instance, people who are enrolling in the various legalization programs from access to the Affordable Care Act provisions. It restricts their access to public benefits, to means-tested public benefits, building on efforts from the 1990s. And those are really troubling. Um, Does the fact that you're here in the U.S. through uh, an immigration channel Make you any less need you know any less uh, in need of food? No, um, it, it really you know reflects that bigger uh, provi- that bigger perspective that Americans have around whether um, whether certain things are rights or whether they are just gifts that we bestow upon others. Um, this is early days in that argument, um, but I think you know even though the U.S. doesn't um, doesn't recognize through treaty obligations those economic, social, and cultural rights doesn't mean that we don't hold them. And as advocates, we really can push um, push the discussion forward, I think, to the next stage as we keep moving forward.
0: That's right. And who are some of your allies and colleagues who are working toward a better policy in terms of a human rights approach well, for Well, this immigration? has
1: yeah this has been a really exciting conversation for one thing um, in that uh, convening back in december and and some you know early conversations with the white house and and uh, with key members of Congress through letters that were were generated, uh, we had hundreds of organizations signing on uh, to these general principles that look, we need a better way to make our immigration policy respect the human rights of individuals in our country. And you know, right at the forefront of that are the, the groups I mentioned earlier, rights working group, detention watch network, border network for human rights. And out of that energy has actually formed an enforcement uh, campaign that's a component of the uh, you know, the greater field and policy movements going on um, around uh, this immigration reform uh, this year, uh, Cambio is this new uh campaign to um bring in the core concepts of, of human rights into the enforcement debate, in particular, uh, this is something that's markedly different than we saw in two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven, when you know we were, as you mentioned, you know all of us in the field kind of getting used to things. Um, my boss always describes this as the frog in boiling water, where we just don't notice how bad it's getting, <laughs> and uh, because it's heating up around us until finally we're hopping out of the pot, saying we can't do this anymore. Um, in 2005, 6, seven, we were still swimming around in that boiling water, saying, "How can we put band-aids on the system?" Mm-hmm. And today, I think advocates, um, both in Cambio and, and throughout the immigration debate, are are pushing back and questioning, "Hey, you know, where are we going with this policy?" Um, I think the, you know, the Dream Act uh, activists have been so important in pushing that forward too and that energy from the dreamers um, to say, no, you know what, we're not going to settle for something that is Merely going to legalize a few of us and leave most of our families out in the cold um, has really pushed us all as advocates um, as well. So there's been a good convergence um, and great allies and a a really different tone, I think, um, this year than, you know, a decade ago. So hopefully we have have some room to maneuver here.
0: Well, I hope so. And how could someone join you through the Combio campaign or find out more about your work and the human rights perspective at the Advocates for Human Rights?
1: Well, we try to keep a, a chart of our assessments of, of the immigration laws um Go, an ongoing project and um, other documents like the Ten Principles um, on our website, um, org and there's ways to sign up to be part of an ongoing campaign uh, to get involved in and keep working to ensure that the human rights of all of us here in this country are met, um, regardless of our immigration status. Um, We know that regardless of what happens in Congress this session um, and here and this year, um, there will still be issues around human rights um, for immigrants and refugees and our allies and communities as we move forward in implementation um, and going, going on. So this is just the beginning of a lot of work.
0: Well, thank you so much, Michelle Garnett-McKenzie and your organization, The Advocates for Human Rights, for the work you do and for your time with us here today.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.